Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And my name is Joe Oldman. And a very solemn day today. It's a day that we kind of expected was going to come, but also, at least in my mind, hoped it wouldn't, that, that better ha- the smarter people would prevail and that Americans wouldn't get left behind in Afghanistan. But unfortunately... Um, at around 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time yesterday, the last flight left Kabul Airport about 24 hours before the end of the deadline. So they left at 11.59 p.m. on the 30th. They had about 24 hours left if they really wanted to extend to the end of the tw- of the 31st. They left early. They left with Americans at the gate. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, we have a guest in the first hour, Victor Avila. Um, he is a former uh special agent with ICE. We'll talk to him. And then the second hour, we're going to be talking to a gentleman whose family is stuck in, in Afghanistan. Now uh, he has a son who's an American citizen. He has a wife who is pregnant and that child will be an American citizen. He is an American and uh, it, it's heartbreaking. Oh, he, so we're going he to has a, Max, he has. Yeah, I hear you. We can hear you, Joe. All right, he has a um, – his wife is pregnant right now. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we'll bring him on in the second hour. But I don't want to go on too long. We do have a guest in the first hour, so why don't we bring him on, Mr. Victor Avila. Victor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So we introduced you a little bit. You are an author. You are a retired special agent with ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, so what we always do when we have a guest on, we give them an opportunity to introduce themselves to the audience. So why don't you take it away and, and talk about what you've done, your, your work experience and any projects you're working on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm a retired, uh, ICE, a supervisory ICE special agent, uh, under the HSI Homeland Security Investigations. That's the investigative arm of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I served most of my career on the border, on the Texas border. I also served abroad in Mexico and in Europe. Um, I, I had a tragic event happen in my career in 2011, where Special Agent Jaime Zapata and I were ambushed by a uh, Losetas uh, cartel in Mexico. And uh, Special Agent Zapata tragically lost his life next to me in the line of duty. I was shot three times and miraculously survived that ambush. Um, and I talk about that in my book, uh, Agent Under Fire a murder and a manifesto, I go into detail about the ambush, but also what we're going to talk about today is all my experience that I have down there and not just the problem, because we could continue talking about the problem, but solutions to this border crisis and this uh, invasion that we have from people from all over the world into our country. And uh, I'm a big advocate for our protection of our sovereignty, and uh, I will share more of that as we talk. Well, I want to say thank you for your service. ICE agents don't usually get that. It's usually reserved for the military. But the, the work that you guys had to do, Border Patrol, ICE, all of everyone responsible with, with securing the border and, and enforcing our immigration laws, it, it might as well. These days, it might as well be um, a military operation with, with the stuff that you're going through. And uh, so, yeah, no, it, it's, it's super salient to the conversation because we've been talking about the border for a while. And now we have the collapse of Afghanistan. And the moving of all of these refugees into the United States, what a lot of people don't realize is they're going to go largely, I mean, some of them probably will get exceptions, but most of them will be put through the same kind of system that is horribly broken, that is causing the border crisis, right? Whether it be asylum seekers, refugee seekers, or just trying to come on regular immigrant visas. Um, talk a little bit about that, because obviously you said you, you, you served abroad, you spent time working abroad, so you obviously have some experience with uh, with the whole topic of, of people not necessarily just crossing the border illegally, but wanting to come here 
um, from abroad. So talk about that and, and what you see happening right now in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, the, it is really a disaster what's happening right now. Uh, the word here is vetting, and, and that's the key word because we don't have 100% vetting of these individuals. Uh, we know that the people uh, in the southern border, we have uh, even the ones that are detected, even the ones that do come up to Border Patrol and turn themselves in are not 100% vetted. Forget the ones that are being smuggled and undetected that are being smuggled by the cartels, uh, the, the gang members, the, the prior deports, the criminals. By the way, it's happening the same way from Afghanistan. We, are, we already uh, detected a sex offender that had been uh, deported from this country back to Afghanistan who made his way, way back in through this crowd. So it just goes to show that uh, the, the bad elements, the criminal elements will make their way through these crowds, through these caravans, through these uh, um, loopholes and, and take advantage to enter our country. The big difference here is terrorism, right? Um, when I worked in Mexico, I interviewed these individuals, what we call in, in ICE, we call them special interest aliens, SIAs, uh, because they're, they're, they come from special interest countries like Afghanistan, Somalia, Bangladesh, uh, Yemen, Iran, you name it. And uh, they were already in Mexico. And I'm talking about 10 years ago when I was there. And I used to interview them with interpreters. Uh, they have communities set up in Mexico. These individuals know that once they're in Mexico, they're as good as being in the U.S. And what's happened yeah. is uh, these, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these sleeper cells in Mexico and in our country have been awakened by what's happening in Afghanistan. Just just yesterday, there was a, a, a shooting here in, uh, I, I'm in the northern Texas area, and there was an individual, uh, possibly a terrorist, who uh, killed a, a, a Lyft driver and then went to the police department and tried to sh shoot it up, and they shot him and killed him. He left the note saying that he was, um, you know, he did this because of the developments in Afghanistan. And it's a Muslim individual. It, it, it's already starting to happen. And this is a national security issue. It's a public safety issue that I continue to talk uh, about around the country to awaken uh, our individuals uh, and, our, and our citizens of the threat that we face from the southern border, from the Middle East, because it is going to affect your community and it's going to affect it now. I want to give Joe a chance to chime in, but before I do, Mr. Brewster, put up my screen. Victor mentioned something that there was a convicted, not just a convicted sex offender, but a convicted rapist who reached the United States, actually reached U.S. soil. There, uh, And we lost Joe for a second. He'll be back. Um, a convicted rapist reached U.S. soil. There was another example of a, a suspected terrorist, someone who was on the terror watch list, having reached Qatar on one of the flights. But this guy was already deported from the U.S., convicted of rape, deported back to Afghanistan, and he made it back onto U.S. soil. Now he's being detained. But yeah, you, you mentioned vetting. It, it's a mess. But Joe, I want to let you chime in because because I've been monopolizing the conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, listen, uh, you know, the, the problems that we face at the border are ones that these politicians would never have to deal with. Right. They're they're locked in their offices with security uh, behind walls. And the things that are happening at the border, Victor, I mean, you could you could talk about this. I, I've, I've spent time in Afghanistan. I've spent time in the Middle East and Africa extensively. And I will tell you that there, you talk about not having a vetting process. I can go back 15 years in the vetting process. That was one of the things that we talked about back then is that it was too easy to lie, too easy to falsify paperwork. And yeah, they caught one, but how many got through that did not get caught before they caught this one individual? And we are, we are literally playing Russian roulette with American lives. And uh, much like what you've had to go through at the border, um, it, it's a perilous situation for a lot of the Border Patrol agents and ICE agents that are out there because they're walking into the lion's den without, without, the, proper, uh, without the, the, the proper tools and the proper authority to get these people out of our country. And, uh, and, and what I'll add to that is, what I'll add to that, uh, Joe, is the, uh, it's just the complete um, incompetence of this administration. And, and I say it, and I say it confidently when I say that, because I have never in my 20 years of my career have seen anything like this. I've been, I've been going to the border. I've been down to the Rio Grande Valley in, in Texas. Uh, I've been there several times in Del Rio. I've been in El Paso and Hutchbeth County to go see for myself and talk to the agents firsthand. And let me tell you, it is 
way beyond what any news uh, organization has ever reported on what's going on. It is bad down there. It is wide open. The border agents feel that they have surrendered the border uh, and there's no border. Our border agents and border patrol are not doing any patrol. Uh, the, the state police that we have, we have hundreds of state police and even from other states in Texas, but all they're doing is detecting and sending them back and just, uh, you know, the, just holding back and delaying the inevitable that these individuals will still make it through at one point or the other, either smuggle or by turning themselves in. Stash houses, smuggling, the drugs, the fentanyl, the methamphetamine, the human trafficking. Oh my goodness, it is out of the human trafficking. Oh, it is, uh, and that's it's my subject matter expertise. I, 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 that's what I did in uh, mostly my career. That's what I, uh, and I'm an expert in, and I rescued countless of women and children when I was in Mexico of organizations that brought young women, young girls and boys into the U.S. for mostly for sex trafficking uh, exploitation purposes, others for labor, forced labor as well. But let me tell you, it's uh, it's prevalent and even more so now because the cartels have taken over that industry. It used to be that the cartels were drug cartels and I don't refer to them as that anymore because I think they're foreign terrorist organizations just like the Taliban, just like ISIS because uh, they're they're not as violent. They're worse uh, than ISIS. They're worse than the Taliban of the of the of the violent acts that they commit in Mexico and in our own country because they're present everywhere in the U.S. This is where they they bring their product. This is where they bring the the humans. This is where they uh, act and in forty countries abroad as well. And so the cartels uh, is I talk about it in my book that we need to designate them as one of the solutions to designate them as a foreign terrorist organization. Um, so we could tackle that issue. You're absolutely right when it talks to the politicians. Right now, we're, I'm with a lot of Americans here. I'm fed up with no one doing anything about it, not at the federal level, not at the state level. There are things that we can do right now. If you would put me in charge right now, I would secure that border within the week. The issue is that these politicians do not want to do it. Biden administration, we know they don't want to do it. This is how they want. They're changing they're fundamentally changing our, our our United States of America by allowing these individuals to come in. By the way, I want to touch on the uh, on the refugees that are coming from Afghanistan. They're not giving them the proper paperwork of refugee oh, yeah, status. No. They're giving them what I used to issue as a as a HSI agent. I used to have SIV. the authority to issue a parole. Not even SIV. Not even that. It's yeah. a parole. Before that, a parole. Is, yeah. I would give a parole is probably the lowest uh, 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 permits to be in the in the country, and I would issue these to witnesses, to sources, and other type of uh, individuals. That's what they're giving them because it's the quickest uh, way to get them in here. That's not the correct way to do it when you're coming from uh, countries like Afghanistan. There's a lot of vetting process that needs to be taken that usually takes a long time, and it's not going to happen. And some of these individuals, are, unfortunately, are going to fall through the cracks, and these are the individuals that want to hurt us. So you worked with SSI. So let me let me ask you this, because I try and break this down in a very simple way for people to understand. And I'm always interested people who've actually had to do this kind of vetting or had a job where this vetting was part of their job. I'm always interested if you can correct me, because it seems like it's a very simple problem. And the vetting, it's not all that dissimilar to the vetting issues we have when people want to come from Somalia or Syria or Libya or any other failed state or state that's controlled by a government that hates us. When someone says they want to come here, at some point in the line, unless it's a digital system, an American official has to pick up a phone, or it's electronically, they have to contact the other country and verify identity. And that's very hard in Somalia where the government only controls Mogadishu and a couple surrounding areas and the rest is tribal leaders, right? Or in Syria where there is no functioning government in a lot of these places. So they pick up the phone, and then one of two things happens in these situations. Either they pick up the phone and it's our enemy on the other side of the phone. And then you're trying to figure out, well, is this Taliban official? Is this Syrian official going to tell us the truth? Are they going to warn us about a terrorist sneaking in? Or is there no one there? There's no one on the other end of the phone because the building just got bombed to hell a couple minutes ago. And we're left holding it back saying, how do we do this? So that's how I try and explain it because it's very simple. In order to vet, you have to have someone on the other side of the phone or on, on the computer, whatever, who's willing to actually verify these people's identities. And unless they have some kind of history of working with the United States already, that's just not going to happen in Afghanistan. It's just not going to happen. Am I, am I getting anything wrong? And if I am, feel free to tell me, 
because I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around it too. No, you're, you're right on target with that. And that's the, the biggest challenge is we have to, the United States has to rely heavily on our intelligence and, and our computer systems and our databases. And you're absolutely right. We have these liaisons throughout the world, uh, which I used to do in Mexico and Central America. And where you do have, hopefully have that contact in that country that you can trust to hopefully give you some background information on this individual. Now, let me throw another thing in there. A lot of it, I'm the, I'm the criminal investigator. It only comes to me when the State Department decides that maybe there is something uh, fishy or going on with this. And that's the problem that we had, at least in my career, I could tell you, if the State Department didn't refer it to Homeland Security, we never knew about it and we never investigated it. But once I got the call, then it, it, it went into a different investigative mode. But the State Department has a lot of that authority here in the, the U.S. embassies and, and consulates around the world. And sometimes these consulate officers are not as trained as the HSI agents or FBI agents that can detect some of these individuals. And so it's a big challenge. And that's why you get uh, these type of individuals issued visas or other permits to enter the United States. Do you feel like there's a push inside of uh, ICE and HSI to uh, promote incompetence? Do you, do you feel like they are they're basically just shying away from common sense and pushing people to a place where they're purposely making the, the country more unsafe? Well, this is 100% on the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. He's right there with Biden. As, as, as incompetent, as, as ideological as Biden is, because uh, there is no Homeland Security. My point here is, Ne they never want put America first. They never put the U.S. citizen and what is best for our country. It always seems to be what's best for the other people from all over the world coming in. Then we'll see what, uh, what, how that affects our country. And that's not the correct way and, and the, the path moving forward, in, in my opinion. This is, this is dangerous. Yeah. And uh, we see, yeah, so, for example, so Vic the, I was going to say real quick, oh, go ahead. the, the Romanian neglect. I was going to say like the remain in Mexico policy. This just happened last week. The, the U, uh, a U.S. federal district judge ordered the Biden administration to reinstate the remain in Mexico policy. And what does the Department of Homeland Security uh, do? They said, no, they're going to sue them and they're going to appeal the decision that went up to the yeah. Supreme Court. Well, wh what side are they on? You're supposed to be challenging the other way around, not not against the U.S. citizen. And this is the the, the problem that I say this is purposeful. This is not. This is no longer uh, incompetence or it's beyond incompetence because uh, they're hurting our nation. Well, I think that, uh, you know, the detractors would say something to you that I think I want you to hold on to. And that is, Victor, you're a racist. You don't you don't care. You're a traitor. You're an Uncle Tom. I mean, I, let's just call it what it is. Right. These are all the things That's that they're right. going to say about you for for uh, standing up and wanting border security. Yet there is one hundred eighty seven other nations around the world. And every one of them, if you actually, in, in many of those nations, if you walk into uh, their environment and you're not, and you're not a citizen, they'll shoot you on the spot. And there are places in Canada they'll shoot you on the spot. Yet in America, we're expected just to open our borders, uh, flood it, and create chaos for the rest of Americans. So, so how do you how do you handle that? I mean, I I'm gonna I'm getting ready to call you Uncle Victor, um, just because <laughs> I think that's probably a more appropriate name. I've gotten, I've gotten that a lot, Joe, but people don't need to adjust it and, and look at the screen. I am a Hispanic American. I am a conservative and I'm an ex-law enforcement officer. And, a, and most of all, I'm a proud American. But that doesn't mean that I uh, shy away from my heritage, from uh, where my parents came from, from Mexico. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean yeah. anything. That doesn't mean that I care less for that country. As a matter of fact, I care more because of what's happening. And but it, but to me is we have to start thinking about our country first. Uh, we have uh, people from Central America and all these individuals that I've interviewed down at the border. They tell me that they're evading uh, Central America, Guatemala, Honduras because of the violence. And I tell my response to them is, well, why don't you go to Chicago? Look at the license, the, the violence that we have here. Go to Maryland, go to St. Louis, go to uh, uh, L.A., go to New York. Uh, we have our, our own problems with our own gangs, with our own gun violence, with our own uh, crime surge that's happening right now that for some reason we ignore, but yet we continue to allow individuals in, in our country that will only exploit that. And you'll see this, and you'll see this very soon. These individuals that are coming from Afghanistan and the rest of the world from the southern border will reunite 
with some of these criminal elements in our country. They will reunite. They will, they will unite with the gangs. They will unite with the Black Lives Matter people. The, they will be recruited by the Antifa people, and you will see them out there. They will get paid, and they will be recruited no. because these are military no, Victor, males. Most of them are coming. Victor, uh, you're you're hitting some hot buttons again for me. I need to slow you down a little bit here. So you just brought up Antifa and BLM. Antifa are they're the anti-fascists. They're the people that are against everything that's happening, right? I mean, they stand for peace and and uh, kumbaya. Let's get in the street. I mean, uh, so you're you're you keep you keep actually standing up for things that I think you should not be standing up for. I mean, as a Latino, you should you should be standing up next to these anti-fascists. Why don't you? I, I get yeah, I get that. Like, how could you, Victor? How could you? You're a, I've been called a triple traitor. Uh, because I'm Hispanic, conservative, yeah. and law enforcement. Because the left hates hates law and authority. They love destruction. They love the destruction of our country. And I just cannot understand it by by any means as to why you hate this country so much that you don't leave leave this country. Uh, you you hate it so much, but you're still here. Why do you think these people that are from all over the world are trying to come to the, this United States yeah. of America? <clears throat> But you're already here. You have you, you, you're, you're lucky to have been born here. We're, they're uh, running we're, the, we're the bad guys. We're the bad guys. Well, that's, we're the that's what's so insane. That's what's so right. insane. You had people falling from planes because they would rather cling to the landing gear and risk hypoxia, risk the altitude, risk the cold, and and they'd rather tr risk falling from thousands of feet and dying than being stuck in Afghanistan. And you don't come here. You don't do that. If the country you're going to is is irredeemably racist, irredeemably bigoted, right? It's very clear. You wouldn't have people flooding the border. You wouldn't have people escaping Afghanistan. They would have stayed in Afghanistan because the way the Democrats describe, describe the United States, they make the United States sound worse than the Taliban. We played clips a couple of weeks ago of the CNN reporter saying that, yeah, the Taliban shouting death to America, but they actually seem kind of nice. They seem kind of peaceful. The way they describe it, they, they make us seem like we're worse. But it's obviously yeah. not the case. Otherwise, these people wouldn't be coming here. There's was, uh, Last time I checked, there's 1.3 million new asylum cases added to the backlog this year alone. That is insanity. That is insanity. insanity. And and when you look at what the, the Biden administration is doing, we can go ahead and put up my screen. Um, they released this new rule change. They released this new rule change uh, on August 18th. They're calling it proposed rule rulemaking to make asylum process more efficient and ensure fairness instead of hiring more immigration judges to work through the backlog they're giving the the cis um asylum officers the ability to just make a decision and obviously it, it's not a, an end-all decision but they're allowed to make a decision on whether they have a credible fear of, of violence or reprisals if they return back home that's not the way it should work i mean you should bring them before a judge and if their claims don't work out, they should be deported because that's how that process is supposed to work. This this guarantees catch and release. And the only, and the only room well, in this new process th th that they're rolling out, the only room for an appeal is if the Biden administration official rejects their asylum claim. Then they can appeal right. to a judge. The judge doesn't get to step in and say you shouldn't have um, you shouldn't have done this. It, it, it get, happens later on in the process. But by that point, they've already been released into the United States. They're God knows where. I mean, this yeah, is insanity. Let me let me add another another case really quick. Uh, a, a U.S. District Judge in the state of Nevada last week ruled that uh, illegal reentry cases cannot be prosecuted under that statute. The statute is 8 U.S.C. 1326. This is an illegal reentry. An individual has been caught, deported, and gets caught again because guess what? It's racist. And History of racism. So right now, right now. You cannot, the, the order is in right now by the ruling of that judge that they cannot be charged with that 1326, which is in my career, we charged thousands of illegal aliens yeah, with 1326, yeah. but because most of them were, 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 were returning from what we're seeing right now. You see most of the people that are coming down there, the hundreds of thousands, millions now, a lot of them are prior deports and they're yeah. coming right back. Yeah. And now you can't charge them with 1326. It is, it is upside down and backwards right now. Well, before Joe, I know you want to jump so in, but I just I want to I want to add this on briefly. Go back to my screen. We talked about this just a second ago. This guy, convicted rapist, would be charged with illegal reentry. He was convicted yeah. of rape and he was deported. 
and obviously there's other charges you can you can have like asylum fraud defrauding the government and, and identity fraud that kind of thing but one of the charges that would be brought against him would be illegal reentry because he had been previously deported and he snuck back in he's, he's, so that that's he's insane call, he's what we would call an aggravated felon actually yeah uh an ag felon and uh, this is this is insane that you wouldn't be able to prosecute him that way go ahead joe you know, I think that uh, we start looking at this and we, we, we obviously know the, the gravity of the situation happening in the United States. And one of the things that, Victor, I've been looking at is, uh, you know, how do we take back our government? How do we kick them to the curb? How do we evict these leaders at every level? And I think that that's really the, the push that has to happen. We've talked about the 25th, you know, excuse me, we've talked about the Convention of States. We've talked about, uh, they've talked about the 25th Amendment in order to get President uh, excuse me, to get Biden out. I will never call him the president because I don't think he is the rightful president. Um, we've talked about all of these things, taking it through the court system, but you just talked about what happened in Nevada and you have a judge that is an activist that doesn't look out for the best interests of people and frankly is above uh, having to deal with the fray. So all the decisions that these people are making, they're not having to live with the consequences we are. And then you have other parts of our society that you know, make it illegal for you to protect your home. They're, they're char they charge the guy in Texas. And Victor, I think you're in Texas, right? Yes. Are you in Texas? All right. So they charged the guy in uh, Austin for defending his family and, and they charged him with, with murder. And he was, you know, his car was getting beat to death. He had his family in the car and they charged him with second degree murder for defending himself in Texas in a place where he should be able to stand up and protect his family. So they are boxing us in as Americans. Yeah, he had a gun pointed at him and he, he basically took him out and they charged him with murder. They charged him with murder because he defended himself. And I think it's just gotten to the point now where we have to start talking about solutions. And I think those solutions uh, do not have to be violent. I don't think we have to have violent solutions. I think we just have to have a solution where we stand up as Americans. We walk into and this is this is my this is my opinion. You can give us your, your thought on this. But we walk into the courthouses, we walk into these government buildings and we just evict them. We walk in there with a thousand people, we pick up all their stuff, walk it outside and say, you no longer work here. And we just start doing that systematically walking down the path. And we're going to find out that many of these organizations we don't need. And then we start strengthening the strengthening the backbone of what's happening at uh, with Border Patrol. And we start crushing these communist uh, terrorist cells. And I do believe that Antifa is a communist terrorist organization. I also believe the BLM is a communist terrorist organization. And we just line them up all together. Uh, we take all the brown shirts, I'll call them brown shirts, people that, that want to bully and intimidate and scare and instill fear in our society. And we start shutting them and pushing them out. And if they want to go start their own country, they're welcome to. But we've got to start doing something right now to say, look, we don't need to be violent. I mean, walking in the streets and carrying your AR-15, it's going to be, it'd be chaos trying to figure out who's the enemy and who's not. But walking in peacefully, into these organizations and saying, get out, just get out. You guys don't represent the interests of the people. I think it's a more viable, viable option for us as people. I, I would, I would say that, uh, and I push this a lot of people say, well, you know, what, what's a call to action? Well, the call to action for me is very simple. Let's start off, you know, uh, people, let's start getting involved. How about opening your eyes and paying attention? And I'm a big, uh, advocate for local politics. Listen, look at what you mentioned in Austin. What does that mean? It's, it, it's, it has to do with the chief of police. It has to do with the mayor. Yeah. It has to do with the county judge. It has to do with the city council. It's all local. And that's where people make the biggest difference. Go to your school board meeting. Go to the city council meeting. Go to your uh, uh, county commissioner's meeting. Step up and, and have your voice heard because you are going to make uh, the decision as who and those boards represent you, represent your children. Look at what's happening around the country with CRT. I went through that in my in my uh, uh, town here in uh, in northern Texas. We huge fight on CRT, and we overcame them. How? We overcame them. We put in our conservative board members in there, and and took care of business. And we still continue to fight. And you can always do that, but it starts at the local level. Of course, state and federal. A lot of people are concerned with the Biden administration. Listen. Start off with your community. That's where you make the biggest impact. You let those uh, 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 elected officials know and remind them that in fact, they're there because they're there to represent you. We're going through a huge thing here in Texas in the next uh, uh, race for governor. And uh, I'm a big advocate for securing our border, but our governor won't do anything about it. There's a lot of lip service, a lot of talk. 
And there's a lot of politics involved, but no action. There's a little bit of movement here and there. Some people getting arrested on the state side for criminal trespasses, but they're already in our country. Why isn't anyone making the decision to put our National Guard? Remember the 25,000 that went to Washington, D.C.? Remember that because of the inauguration? We said yeah. 25,000, but we can't send uh, our National Guard to the, to the Texas border to secure the border. I want to see Border Patrol, National Guard, Sheriff, uh, ICE, uh, uh, state police all stand on the line and one day and said, you're not coming in. When those rafts come over the river in, south, in southern Texas by the cartels and say, uh-uh, send them back. We need to send a message to the cartels. We need to send a message to the other cartel, the Biden administration, and say, it doesn't matter what you say. We're going to uphold the Constitution of the United States. These are law enforcement officers that uh, took a, a, an oath and they swore to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States and our borders. And so they don't need whoever's in the, uh, in the White House to tell them what to do. All they have to do is follow the Constitution. This administration is not allowing them to do that. I mean, they're ignoring asylum laws. They're ignoring immigration law. They're ignoring Title 42. Remember that? Uh, COVID? They're ignoring that. They're ignoring Remain in Mexico. It doesn't matter what policies are in place if this administration is not going to allow our agents to follow it. So we need to stand up and it starts at your local level by supporting and getting uh, some action on the ground. Yeah. Got to mention well, that this podcast. There's another part. That... Uh, and sorry, we're, we're working ahead, on a delay because Joe is um, out of the office today. So we have a little bit of a delay. Um, which is why we sometimes talk over each other. Got to jump in real quick and mention this podcast is sponsored by Airmake Care Network. Airmake Care Network, the premier insurance plan that will cover you and yours should any of you, any of you ever, ever need to be airlifted for a medical emergency. You see what's happening in Afghanistan. You see people who need the help and they're not able to get it. Well, that's foreign policy. Here in the United States, it happens to tons of people every year. Airmake Air Care Network flies over 100,000 patients to a hospital when they suffer a medical emergency. You don't get to choose when a disaster strikes. You don't get to decide when you need to go to the hospital, and you don't get to decide how you get there. And a lot of times, people have to get airlifted just for traffic alone. Well, with Airmake Care Network, you don't have to worry about the expense of that. Instead of paying upwards of 60 grand, with Airmake Care Network, you won't pay one cent once you become a member. And the memberships start at $85 for one year, it's less if you're a senior citizen. It works out to be less per year if you buy three or five years at a time. And as long as you remember, as I said, you won't pay one cent for that air medical transportation flight. So go to the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily. And as a bonus, when you use promo code daily, you'll get up to $50 back in the form of an e-gift card. It's free money. So again, that's airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. Sorry, just had to jump in with that quick ad read. Go ahead, Joe. Well, we, we, we are having these discussions about the things that we're trying to get ourselves across these humps. And one of the things, Victor, that you, you talk about is the fact that it goes against the best interest of the American people. And at that point, I think that we have to just come to the conclusion or come to the realization that we've been infiltrated by a communist, um, unconstitutional uh, group of people that just want to destroy everything that we stand for as a country. At that point, we have to enact that one thing that we need to that we that we should be talking about, and that is that we will protect and defend our nation from those uh, people, both foreign and domestic, that would do harm to us as a nation. And and I think that's where we're at. You talk about DAs, you talk about getting involved and putting people in places of school boards and things like that. But these people have infiltrated every part of our government, and I just you know again we we've got to get to the place where it happens faster. Because once you get to a certain point where the tilt is in that way, they can stand in the way of progress. They can try to enact laws like they're doing right now uh, to circumvent even voting laws and, and putting these machines in place to where, you know, you'll never win. The voice of the American people will never be heard again. So, you know, the, you know the, there are things that, that you talk about, but let's talk about action items besides just. And I, and I do believe we talk a lot about getting people involved at the precinct level, making sure that we have people run for school boards that we uh, get people involved in how the government structure is supposed to work. But, the, you know, do you have any anything else that I mean, can we can we put ourselves at the at the border? Can we line up a thousand ready men at the border and say, no, you're not coming in here today? Um, you know, yeah. how, how would you how would you feel about that? Or how would your fellow Border Patrol agents feel about that if we lined up, you know, 2000, 3000 people at the border? And uh, when they when the cartels came, we just said, hey, listen, 
um, the first shot fired will be the only shot that that you hear because then we'll shoot back. And again, I'm not advocating for violence, but but how do you think your brothers and sisters at the border would take that if Americans started going to the border and doing the uh, making the tough decisions to protect our nation? You're not you're not far out here, Joe, with that. That's one of the solutions that I think that uh, should be considered, and that is the uh, deputizing of civilians. We have. I don't like the word militia, but we have these groups down there in Texas, some that I'm in contact with, that want to secure our border. They hold these illegal aliens in private ranches. They're, the illegal aliens are going through these ranches and ransacking them and defecating and, 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 and stealing their stuff and doing all these crazy things to private property. And these ranchers and these groups have helped and, and, and hold them for Border Patrol. The problem is they give them to Border Patrol and Border Patrol will end up releasing them because of the catch and release uh, policy under the Biden administration. But I, I'm all with you there. Let's 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 get these uh, let's get our civilians involved. We have these groups. Let's deputize them. Let's have more people. Let's have the, the sheriffs deputized by the federal government as federal agents so they could execute some of those uh, immigration laws. Another thing that we haven't talked about is the pressure on Mexico. We need to talk to, we need to do something about Mexico over here. Remember, we're attached to Mexico. It seems like we don't have a, we're not in the middle of the ocean here. We're not an island. We, right. no one is talking to Mexico like, like President Trump did. You need to start putting the pressure back on them and saying, listen, if you're not going to stop the flow of the people and the drugs coming from there, we're going to have to start doing some real sanctions, just like President Trump did. Now, he backed off on the designation as, uh, of the cartels as foreign terrorist organizations because that would devastate Mexico. But what did Mexico do? They launched their, their uh, National Guard down to their southern border. They stopped that flow. Remember in 2019, we saw this and it stopped. And he said, We're, we'll stop the money going south. We sent uh, the illegal aliens and uh, people from uh, in, in the United States sent over $28 billion to Mexico last year. That's what they live off of in Mexico. If we put a tax or we say we're not going to allow that money to flow south, it'll crumble Mexico. And so we have to start putting some of these sanctions. How about commercial traffic? How about we're going to start uh, controlling those borders and what comes in? It, this is These are real consequences that Mexico has to face, that they, in fact, have to do something about it. Mexico right now, the president has ignored the cartel problem altogether. He has completely, he says he rather gives them, give them hugs than bullets. And he has completely ignored the, the national security issue that his country faces as well as ours. And this actually would benefit both countries if you think about it. But, uh, but the, the, the problem is the cartels control Mexico. They control the politicians, yeah. they control the police. They have a, the, a stronghold on that country. It's a failed state. And so it, it, uh, it but we, we as the United States must do something just like you would with your neighbor next to you, if you had this big issue with them, you at one point would have to confront your neighbor and say, enough is enough. We need to do that either at the state level, because if the federal level is not do it, then we need our governor to step up and do it. Well, you mentioned cutting off just, the money to, to Mexico. Short of congressional action, I don't think that's gonna happen because today, the National Security Advisor, someone on the National Security Council for the White House was on television and they said it's a possibility we might send foreign aid to the Taliban, that we might say, yeah, send know. food aid, we might, we might send medical aid, humanitarian aid. Anyone who's ever studied humanitarianism in Africa and, and Southwest Asia and the Middle East, you know that it's entirely corrupt. It goes to people who aren't actually looking out for the, the best needs and interests of their people and they sell it and it's just a money-making scheme. So short of congressional ap action, I don't know if it's possible, if it's possible to get um, <laughs> to get Biden to cut off. But I, I want to ask you about your book because um, I remember your story and it, it was a tragic story. And I remember the audio call that you made out um, when you were under fire. And I, I, I don't know if everyone's heard it. But we have that. Victor, is it okay if we play that? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, please. Okay. Okay, right, Josh, why don't we play this? This is this, this is the uh, the audio call that Victor, uh, Victor Avenal from ICE. We got a shot. We got a shot. We are on the highway of Querétaro, Mexico. We've been shot and attacked on the highway. I am an ICE special agent. What is your name, you said, sir? Victor Avenal, please call Jerry Miles. 
I don't have another phone. So why did you look at Please, it? call 30 miles. We've been shot on the highway. Highway? What is the highway, sir? To where? Mexico, Querétaro. They know where I'm at. Uh, okay. Try to remain online, please. So, I, I walk us through what happened, because obviously you, you go through it in your book, but for everyone who doesn't remember it, um, walk us through what happened to you that day. Well, we were sent uh, off on this botch assignment to go pick up equipment from the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City uh, on Highway 57, which is the main corridor from Mexico City all the way up to Texas. And we met with our uh, counterparts out of the U.S. consulate in Monterey. They drove south a few hours. We drove north from Mexico City. We met up, uh, picked up that equipment, which is a bunch of boxes full of uh, electronic equipment and surveillance type trackers and were used to be used for another case. And uh, on the way back, we were ambushed by two SUVs full of Zeta cartel members. Uh, we were in an armored SUV, our, my issue, our armored SUV at that time, uh, Agent Zapata was behind the wheel. He had just gotten behind the wheel about 15 minutes prior to the ambush. And AK-47s, uh, they surrounded our uh, uh, suburban. There was a lot of chaos in the chaos. My window, my armored window was rolled down about two inches where they were able to introduce an AK-47 and a handgun right by my head and they opened fire into the cabin, striking uh, Agent Zapata multiple times um, and striking me three times, once in the chest and twice in the left leg. And uh, tragically we lost Agent Zapata in the line of duty that day. Um, that call that that I made is well, after the shooting, there was kind of two shootings. It stopped and then they came back and got in front of the Suburban and tried to penetrate the glass by shooting AK-47 round through the fr front windshield. And then they left, I made that call to the US Embassy and eventually I got called to the Mexican Federal Police, the only person I trusted. You talk about corruption in these other countries. Yeah. Mexico is as bad, and I didn't trust anyone. And I talk about it in my book. Uh, I could have been in China for all intents and purposes because I felt so yeah. so alone and so uh, so afraid of after the shooting. People tell me, how did you feel? Were you afraid when it happened? It, it, I didn't have the chance to feel anything. It wasn't until we were being transported to the hospital by the Mexican Federal Police airlifted that's when the panic for me and the and and the fear set in because i thought for sure they were going to kill me at the hospital because that's what the cartels do and so i go into detail in the book about my assignment in mexico the, the ambush in detail and then of course uh the second half is how do we deal with all these issues when it comes to human trafficking the wall uh, uh asylums uh sanctuary cities all these issues with uh illegal immigration and I tackle it by offering solutions as well. And Ms. Brewster, if you put up my screen, we have uh, a picture of the book, Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. Um, you can buy it at agentunderfirebook.com. I believe it's also available on Amazon and it should be, I, I checked, it should be on Barnes and Noble and, and a couple other places. Um, so definitely, definitely check that out, anyone listening, if you wanna learn about the story, but also Victor's has a has an entire lifetime so of experience. So Victor, Victor, are you there? Oh, he, might just, he might have just frozen. I think I think we just lost him. Um, hopefully, it, we can get that fixed, Mr. Producer. See if you can get that fixed. Looks like he froze. Um, I know that feeling very well when my power goes out and I freeze, and usually I freeze in a very strange face on camera. Um, but again, yeah, that's Age Under Fire: A Murder and a Manifesto by Victor Avila. Um, you can find that on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and wherever you buy your books. Uh, so hopefully we can get him back on uh, for a couple minutes before the end of the show. But it, it's, it's, it, it's amazing that he's telling that story. And he says he, he might as well be in China. Well, he might as well be in Afghanistan because that's what we're hearing is happening in Afghanistan right now. People are trying to just get down the road, down the highway, down the street, and they're being ambushed. Oh, we got big Victor back. Sorry, uh, Victor, I, I was just saying, I was saying that it's crazy. Obviously, you were in Mexico at the time, but you said you might as well have been in China. You might as well have been in Afghanistan. You might have had a better time in Afghanistan, if we're being completely you're, you're honest, right. which is you're crazy. Right. The, the shootings that are happening there on our border on the other side of Mexico, you would think it'd be Iraq or Baghdad. And no, it's Mexico. Uh, I saw this stat just yesterday. 
There's 96,000 people missing in Mexico. 96,000 people that are unaccounted for. Forget the hundreds of thousands of people that have been murdered. And that's, and no, that's just in the last 12 months. Yes. That's just in the last 96, 12 months. Yeah, so I just, this is ridiculous uh, stat that I saw just yesterday. I'm like, this is, uh, th this is the problem. I think that people don't understand the power of the cartels. And, and the cartels, people need to understand, they're highly sophisticated organizations. Don't think of them as a street drug gang. Think of them as Amazon. That's how much yeah. money they have. They have billions of dollars. They're equipped. Go online and watch those videos. They're fully equipped, full armies with, uh, with uh, uh, small arms, big arms, armored vehicles, intelligence. They got people everywhere, not just in Mexico, in the U.S., in the court system, in the police, in the border patrol, everywhere, intelligence everywhere gathering. And they have their people working their drugs. Right now, the fentanyl that they continue to push and these uh, pills, these uh, counterfeit pills that have uh, fentanyl in them that have killed uh, uh, thousands and thousands of our youth that are experimenting with drugs. These are not drug junkies or, 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 or uh, people that are hooked on drugs. These are people that are uh, young, that want to experiment with a pill. They might want to take an Adderall in college with, with their friend or whatever, but it's a fentanyl counterfeit pill and they die. And I have some stats here. It is crazy. In 2020, they had 93,000 deaths. And you don't hear about that in the United States, 93,000 uh, overdose deaths. And I don't they call them overdose. I like to call them poisonings because that's what they are by these cartels. They're poisonings. We've already seized 9,300 pounds of fentanyl this year alone. And this year is not even over yet. It is uh, it that's is enough what the, to kill. That's enough to kill every. Yeah, that's enough to kill every every person in the United States. Right, we're talking Absolutely. about massive, you know, you know how people. Yes very powerful very powerful these uh, amounts of uh, the methamphetamine of course the fentanyl is super potent and the open borders policy great for them all of a sudden the cartels they they like this open border policy they're making money hand over fist and just uh, about three weeks ago they put up a banner on the other side of el paso texas on the mexican side in juarez they put up a banner threatening mexican police and u.s border patrol saying very explicit that they would shoot at border patrol through the river and through the wall that the wall would not stop their bullets and guess what there were there's already been three shootings at border patrol agents through that river two in el paso and one in, in by california and luckily none of our agents have been hit but because now sure. the cartels don't want any of their uh human smuggling ventures or drug uh, seizures to be taken down before it was part of business, right? Well, they took down one of our uh, shipments and that's part of doing business. Well, all of a sudden they don't like it anymore because it's so open and it's so uh, easy to get their, 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 uh, their drugs and their humans through that now that any ones that do get taken down, they're not liking it and they're getting more emboldened and more brave. I had never seen a, a, a threat that direct come out at our agents, but that's, how, that's what th uh, these cartels operate. Well, I think that it's if if the cartels shoot through the gate or through the fence, um, through the wall, I think that uh, we should shoot back. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think in one instance, there was some uh, return fire by some agents. And you got to keep in mind some of this, some of these places where there's no wall, there's just heavy, heavy brush. I've been down there. You can't see. You can't see anywhere on the other side. It could be people shooting, uh, pointing AK-47s at you and you would have no idea. Uh, I was in part of Hudspeth County where we have part of the wall that ends and we have these huge, incredible uh, lights, better than stadium lights. They light up the night like day, but they were turned off. And I'm talking to the agent and I'm like, why are the lights off? I was out there at 1030 o'clock at night and I'm like, why are the lights off? He says the Biden administration, when they stopped the construction of the wall, they also unplugged the lights and they unplugged the sensors and they unplugged the uh, the uh, other 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 technology that they use there. And I'm like, well, what does that have to do with the wall? At least keep the rest of it up and going. But no, they 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 hurt well, our agents must have by been, taking away the technology. It must have been bad for the butterflies. Isn't that what we always hear from from the right. left that you can't put up the wall because there's the butterfly sanctuary um, trying right. to <laughs> somehow make you think that the butterflies can't fly through or over. No, the butterflies <laughs> apparently they don't fit through the little slots. But that's what they always say. There's some there's some rare toad 
or some endangered lizard. Um, it, it's crazy. It's crazy what they say. So I, again, we're speaking with Vic, Victor Avila, author of Agent Under Fire. Um, you can find it at Amazon and, and, and Barnes and Noble. Um, almost out of time. Victor, where do you think we go from here? Because obviously it's unsustainable. We've spoken with former Border Patrol agents, and I asked them, what's the tipping point? What's, what's, what's the point where it's unsustainable? And they say, we've already been there. So uh, how, how, how do we fix this? We can't just go like this. And, and we've seen leaked documents from DHS where even um, higher-ups are admitting that this is unsustainable. How, yeah. how do we fix this, or, or is it even possible to fix at this point? No, no, we, we are. And uh, this, this part, it sounds a little, uh, uh, you know, you, you heard this a, a lot, and, and I don't like to use it, but it does make a lot of sense here where the elections have consequences, and you're seeing it firsthand. You're going to feel the consequence of the election. A lot of times we vote, and we don't care because we think it's not going to affect us personally. Let me tell you, you're going to be affected by the school system, Everywhere in the country, I'm not talking about border states. Every state is becoming a border state. You're going to be affected in your healthcare system when the illegals uh, overrun the ER systems and the ER uh, rooms. You're going to be, uh, and of course, the criminal justice system uh, with these criminals coming through. We, I have seen the difference and and what you're talking about there, Max, with uh, the reaction of the of these politicians, where we have to continue to put the pressure on them. And it does work. You put the pressure and you put the pressure and we'll have to make them act whether they want to or not, because they work for us. Don't let up. Let's get together. Let's get the conservatives. You know, sometimes I feel like, you know, the liberals are one thing, but I, I seem to be having to convince the conservatives and the Republicans like, wait a minute, you are the guys that need to get up. We need to unite here and let's push forward, because if it's not us, then who? And if it's not now, then when? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe, any final well, words? And I want to, I want to, yeah. So I want to, I want to say this, and I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, Mr. Producer. I sent over something to you um, just a second ago, and I'm going to throw you guys for a little bit of a loop. Um, there's a, a post. It's the first post that says President Joe Biden, Joe Biden, um, from Shana Chappelle. And uh, the reason why I want to put this up, if we can, uh, Mr. Producer, I don't know if you can, if, if oh, you I'm have it. The reason why I'm putting this up, Victor, is for, for one reason, and that is, I'm gonna read it here in a second, but the, the thing that I wanna bring up is that this is, uh, Shana lost her son, um, Kareem, in, in Afghanistan. He was one of the 13 soldiers that were killed, 14 soldiers that were killed in Afghanistan. And, you know, we've all seen the posts of Biden looking at his watch four or five times while uh, the, the remains of these of these brave young men and women were taken off of the airplane. Um, but, you know, Shanna was Shanna was actually. Um, she had an opportunity to talk to Biden and Biden literally rolled his eyes at her um, and tried to say, oh, you know, I lost my son. So I know how you feel um, in the middle of recognizing that, you know, she lost her son. And when she was talking to him, when he walked away, this is a mother of a of a soldier that lost his life, uh, much like your friend and your your um, colleague um, at the border. And so I'm going to read this and I'm going to get your thoughts on it, if you would. I know it's a little bit of a taking a left turn, but I want people to understand that there's an ethos. There's a culture in our government that is basically saying that we don't matter, that we're slaves to them. And, um, you know, the, again, it's sickening to me having to see people, having to see our young men and women lose their lives um, in, in the face of such uh, political debauchery that we're dealing with. So uh, this says, Joe Biden, the message is for you. I know my face is etched in your brain. I was able to look you straight in the eyes yesterday and have words with you. After I lay my son to rest, you will be seeing me again. Remember, I am one who stood five inches from your face and was letting you know I would never get a hug. My, I would never get to hug my son again hear his laugh, and then you tried to interrupt me and give me your own sob story. And I had to tell you, that isn't about, this isn't about you. So don't make this about you. Then you said you just wanted me to know that you know how I feel. And I let you know that you don't know how I feel. And you don't have the right to tell me you know how I feel. You then rolled your blank eyes in your head like you were annoyed with me. And I let you know that the only reason I was telling you was out of respect for my son. That was the only reason why I then proceeded. And then I, sorry, this is a little bit, she, I think she wrote this on the cuff. 
I then proceeded to tell you again how you took my son away from me and how I'll we'll never get to hug and kiss him, laugh with him again, etc. You turned to walk away and I let you know my son's blood was on your hands and you threw your hands up behind you as you walked away from me, like you were saying, okay, whatever. You are not the president of the United States of America, Biden. Cheating isn't winning. You are no leader of any kind. You are a weak human being and a traitor. You turned your back on my son and all of our heroes. You are leaving the White House one way or another because you do not belong there. My son's blood is on your hands. All 13 of them, their blood is on your hands. If my President Trump was in his rightful seat, and my son and the other heroes would still be alive. You will be seeing me again very soon. By the way, my son and the rest of our fallen heroes were being taken off the plane yesterday. I watched you disrespect us all. Five different, I'm sorry, I have to go over here because I can't see through the, I can't see through the deal here. By the way, my son and the rest of our fallen heroes were being taken off the plane yesterday. I watched you disrespect us from five different times by checking your watch. What the F was so important you had to keep looking at your watch. You are nobody special, Biden. America hates you. So I, I, I know that this is kind of a deviation from what we're talking about. And obviously, I just want to first off say that I thank you for your service. Um, and I'm so glad that you're alive and you're here with us to share your story. Because um, so often that's not the case. But here's a mother that is hurting that is watching the culture of our country, the ethos of our country, take a very drastic turn towards this terroristic environment where we become victims in our own country. So if you could just give me your thoughts on what, what I just read to you, obviously uh, that's a grieving mother and she's very angry about losing her son as we all are to have lost those 13, uh, 13 young men and women. It hurts me, it hurts me. And I had read that earlier today and I was very angry and I went through a lot of emotions because I went through a, a traumatic event. I saw my partner die next to me in Mexico. And yes, Biden was the vice president and Obama was a president at the time. This happened in 2011. And yes, it was with their debauched uh, firearms that they allowed to walk from the United States into Mexico, Operation Fast and Furious. We know what that happened. Two of those guns uh, were recovered, were used against us. So you, you yes, I, 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 I feel this very personally. I, I, I don't know other than condolences to this family, but the Zapata family has gone through what she's going through. They've lost their son in the line of duty. And to this day, 10 years later, they have absolutely no answers from anyone because uh, Obama Biden uh, issued an executive order blocking us from getting any information. So I feel her pain. I understand somewhat what she's going through. Uh, I'm never going to compare myself to what, but I, 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 I was under fire. I saw the evilness that the, the world can bring. And whether it's the cartels, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's the Taliban, whether whoever it is, this is evil in our world. And, and I can only pray for them and, 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 and do that because it is very, very sad. Uh, I go through a lot of emotions, uh, as you can tell. I, I go through a lot of emotions. Uh, my wife sometimes like stops screaming at the TV. It, it is it is disheartening to me, and, and that's why I go around doing what I do because I'm not going to stop. I will be a voice for the agents. I will be a voice for our state and for our country to protect us as much as I can. And maybe that's the reason why God uh, left me here for a reason, and and He spared me that day and said, you're going to stay, Victor, and make a difference. And maybe that's what I'm here to do, to hopefully bring some kind of light, some kind of justice, some kind of solution to uh, these issues in around the country. Well, we're almost out of time, but I want to thank you, Victor, for coming on the show. Again, you can find his book, Agent Under Fire. Put up my screen again so people can see it. Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. Um, Victor Avila, retired um retired ice agent thank you so much victor for coming on i really, victor, really appreciate it victor I'll, I'll reach out to you after the show too and just connect with you i'm um, hopefully I'm in texas maybe we can grab some grab some coffee and uh just connect absolutely thank, thank you, you very much and, and, and thank you for giving me the platform to to speak and, and and so freely i really appreciate it uh i really enjoyed it thank you so much thank All you right, victor. god bless you god bless so we're going to take a really quick break, and when we do, we're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to be joined by a guest. Uh, his name is Shabir, 
and he's going to tell his story, what's happening to his family now, because we've been talking over the last couple of days about the Americans being left behind. Um, he is stuck in India. He tried to get to Afghanistan to save his family. He has a pregnant wife. He has a, a son who's an American citizen. His soon-to-be-born child will be an American citizen. But uh, they were left behind by Biden. Um, so we're going to bring Shabir on. He's going to tell we, his story. When we, when, when we come back, though, we're going to talk a little bit about the Patriot Ranch. Um, I need people to answer their emails. And we have 361 more to sell. And we have about 45 days to do it. So let's talk about that when we get a chance as well when we come back. Yeah. After the guest, because I think the guest is already getting ready to go. Um, and he's overseas, okay. so we're going to try and get him on first. But So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on the other side of this quick break. Ronald Reagan famously said that our freedoms are never more than a generation away from extinction. Conservative Daily exists to make sure that never happens. With our community of 700,000 members, we fight every day to hold Congress's feet to the fire stop them from surrendering our rights and freedoms. The fight to take this country back is not over. Please join our movement right now by going to conservative-daily.com and clicking the subscribe button to sign up for our free call to action newsletters. We have a chance to save this country, but only if we all work together. Again, this is conservative-daily.com and don't forget to hit the subscribe button at the top. 